theyeshiva.net. Thank you so, so much, Rabbi Reisman Shlita. Shavua Tov, Agutavach, Afrelechavach, Alustakavach, a beautiful week to all of you joining us this evening, the entire beautiful Chicago community gathering together for what's going to be a few weeks dedicated to uh, ATT, the Associate of Talmud Torahs, Association of Talmud Torahs in Chicago. And uh, I don't know if everybody knows this, but uh, ATT, the Association of Talmud Torahs in Chicago, is probably one of the oldest religious Jewish organizations on the shores of the United States of America. Most shuls, yeshivas, shtibuls, centers, and wonderful facilities and institutions are 10 years old, 20 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old. But this is actually a moistened institution that is almost a century old, 90 years. So that only uh, demonstrates its power, its endurance, its vitality, and the fact that its uh, necessity is truly uh, present, its achievements remarkable, and I am thrilled and privileged to be able to be part of this great launch of your annual fundraising campaign with all of the circumstances of this year. Things are different, and I know that this begins a few weeks of celebrating the work of uh, this extraordinary organization and fundraising for the work and may it be with tremendous hatzlacha so that you should be able to continue from strength to strength to make sure that every single Jewish child in Chicago gets what he or she needs academically, socially, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. There is an extraordinary insight. It always moves me this week, this week, next week, when we read about it. There was a Jew in B'nai Brak. We actually had some familial connection. His name was Rebyanka Legalinsky. Rebyanka Legalinsky was a famous Magid. He was a very interesting fellow. He was a Russian Jew. He learned in the Navardika Yeshivas. He was exiled to Siberia. He ultimately came to B'nai Brak. And he once shared that he went in to the Stipler Gon, Zechet Sadik Levracha. This is, of course, the father of Tulanga Yaron Reb Chaim, Kanevsky Shlita, the stipler was Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael, Kanevsky Zechreina Levracha, who's named after Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkas, a son of the Chernobyl Magid, Rabbi Matala Chernobyl, a son-in-law of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Balatanya. He's called the stipler because he came from Horen Stipel, Horen Stipel in the Ukraine, which was the place of Reb Mardechai Doiv of Horen Stipel, who was a grandson of Rabbi Yisrael of Cherkas. Okay, but that's a separate story. So the stipler tells Rabbi Yankel Galinsky, the stipler Gon tells him, he says, I just had an insight I want to share with you. He called it Achidish. And Rabbi Yankel Yisrael Kanevsky, the stipler Gon Zatzal, says, I want to share with you what I just thought of. And this is what he told him, and Rabbi Yankel shared it. He said, everybody knows the story. Every Anybody who learned in Yeshiva and Cheder, it's one of the famous Rashis in Vayetze and Vayishlach. There's something strange. Parsha's Vayishlach. Yaakov, next week's Parsha, Yaakov speaks to Hashem and he says, Kivamakli avartiyas hayardin. I crossed the Jordan only with my stick. I had nothing. Va'ata yisi machanas. And now I have such an entourage, a huge family, two camps. And the obvious question is, did his father and mother send him with nothing? Talas, tefillin, 
couple of Danishes, little babke, some rogelach, <laughs> a couple of dollars. Come on. You send your son to go do a shidduch. You remember what Eliezer had when he came to find a shidduch for you, Yitzchak. Ten camels. Rashi says Avram wrote a, a document, a deed, that he's a, bequeathing everything to Yitzchak. So it should be very appealing, very attractive. This is what Yitzchak had from his father. Now Yitzchak was no poor man. Pasek says and told us Yitzchak was extremely successful. Zevel. He was saying the fertilizer of Yitzchak is superior to the gold and silver of the Philistine king Avimelech. You send Yaakov with a stick? With a hiking stick? Obvious question, yeah? The Venezuela says Yitzchak must have become poor. In the interim, Yitzchak must have been completely impoverished. There's no sign for that in Chumash. So Rashi gives us the famous interpretation of our sages in the Medrash. Yitzchak went with a lot. He went with a lot of money. He went with the documents. Whatever he went with, he came with plenty of stuff. But Eliphaz was Esav's son. And Esav sent Eliphaz to go kill Yaakov en route, en route from Yitzchak and Rivka from Beershava to Choron, to Mesopotamia. And Eliphaz comes to Yaakov and he wants to kill him. Apparently he was stronger than Yaakov. Says Rashi, Lefisha Godal shal Yitzchak. But because Eliphaz grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak, he grew up on the lap of Yitzchak, he couldn't murder his uncle Yaakov. So he tells Yaakov, what should I do? Tata, he said, I should kill you. You know, in Esau's family, respect for a father trumped everything. So Yaakov gave him a shear. Yaakov gave him a pilpul. It was a shear in Mesechta Nedarim Davchov. He sat down a leaf and said, I'm going to learn with you Ashtikl Gemara. There are people, even when they're alive, they're considered dead. One of them is an Oni, Oni Chashuv Kemes. Take away all my money. Let me be broke. I won't have anything. And it'll be considered I'm dead. And Eliphaz accepted it. So it was a win-win situation. Eliphaz did what his father told him. He killed Yaakov, at least metaphorically. Yaakov's life was saved. And life moved on. Asks the stipler. He says, Godal Eliphaz Bechekoy Shal Yitzchak. Eliphaz grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak. You know who Eliphaz was? Mele Esav. Yitzchak loved Esav. He held on to Esav. It was his child. Eliphaz, we learn in Parshas Vayishlach, was one of the most promiscuous people in the Tanakh. If you read the Rashi's at the end of Vayishlach, based on Asugi and Sanhedrin, the incest, the adultery, the promiscuity there, inside the family, was beyond even Guruyim Shabomas. Incest with a mother and with siblings and with a daughter. Amalek was Eliphaz's son. And Yitzchak knew who his grandson is. So he keeps him on his lap. What's that about? Said the stipler, Yitzchak understood that when you have a grandson like Eliphaz, you keep him close. You don't throw him away. He keeps him on his lap. He's mekad of him. He makes sure he's close to him. Says Reb Stipler to Reb Yankele, Reb Yankele. So you think, it's a nice story. He kept him close. Warm, geschmack, delightful. But tachlis, it was a lost case. It was useless. He said, no. The whole Klal Yisrael was saved because of that. Had the Lifas not grown up on the lap of Yitzchak, he would have killed Yaakov that day. 
and there would be not one Jew living today. He said, every single Jew who's alive today, who's a descendant of Yaakov Avinu, from one of the Shvatim, is here only because Yitzchak kept Elifas close to him. Did Elifas become the greatest Baltruva? Did Elifas become Rabban Shalkolbane Hagoyla? Did Elifas become the Tzaddik Hador? He did not. But because of this closeness that Yitzchak displayed to Elifas, every single Jew till today is alive and well. We owe our gratitude to that relationship that Yitzchak had with Elifas. If I may add on my own, if you'll open up a Sefer of the book of Job, you'll see one of the early chapters, I think it's four or six, that zip code. It says, Vayan Elifaz Hatemoni. One of the friends of Eov is Elifaz Hatemoni who responds. And Rashi says, How does Elisa, Elifaz acquire Ruach HaKodesh? The words of Elifaz is, were said with divine inspiration. He was raised on the bosom, on the laps of Yitzchak. It's the same Elifaz who at a later point in his life suddenly develops Ruach HaKodesh. Not only he doesn't kill Yaakov, he becomes a Baal Ruach HaKodesh. Why? Because Yitzchak held him close to him. My dearest friends, what a lesson this is in life. Oh, everybody remembers the story in Gemari and Brachis, Davchavches. Rem Gamliel had a policy. There was a security guard by the door of the Beis HaMedrish. And the security guards said, Whoever is inside, is not like his outside, can't enter into the Beis HaMedrish. Rebbe Loza ben Azariah became the leader. The first thing he did was, he removed the security guard and suddenly the yeshiva filled up with students. What does this mean, my friend? I want to ask you a question. I was once teaching the Gemara. Somebody said, Rabbi Waiwa, can you tell me, how can a guard by the door figure out if toichik and not toichik Good question, Rabbi Reisman. You know, how is a guard, a security guard, supposed to lose it? Oh, your inside is like your outside. No, your inside. How is a security guard supposed to know if toichik and not toichik What's this, a joke? It's a good, I thought it's a good, good question. There's a different answer, famous, famous answer of the Gereb, but I'll tell you what I think on a very basic level. Shemir HaPesach doesn't only mean necessarily there was a physical security guard. It means it was an attitude, there was an attitude of scrutiny. What we would say may be, you're guilty till you're proven innocent. Every yeshiva boy was scrutinized through and through and through. We looked at him, we said, oh, we chapped you, we chapped you. You were guilty till you're proven innocent. The attitude was... You're going to have to prove yourself to the heavens that you're perfect, you're impeccable, you're flawless. And the moment we find a flaw, oh, you're not the real thing. Arais. Rebbe Elizabeth ben Azayah says, that's not how you build Torah by the Jewish people. He says, believe in the soul of the children. Believe in the holiness of the children. Believe in the inner beauty of the children. Trust them. Empower them. Have faith in them so that they can have faith in themselves. Of course, this doesn't mean there's no standards and there's no values and there's no priorities and there's no systems and there's no checks and balances and responsibility. Chalila, a place without any structure can create anarchy. Kol I'm sure the Levi Moisad according to its needs. But the attitude is, I believe in you. I want to make it work. And I'll do anything to make it work because children are not here so that systems should be able to function. Systems are here to help children. Children are not here to uphold systems. It was Winston Churchill, I think, who said, we create institutions in order to facilitate our dreams, and then we become prisoners to those institutions that we created. 
Sometimes what happens is we create beautiful institutions because we want our dreams to be able to be materialized, but then we become prisoners of our own structures and we start worshipping the structures as though the structures were sacred, forgetting that the structures were created for the children. The children were not created for the structures, which is why the work of ATT, or as some of us in New York call it AT&T, is so critical and so vital to be able to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. The work of ATT, of the Association of Talmud Torahs and the Associate Talmud Torahs, bringing together so many of the educational institutions of Chicago from different communities, different backgrounds, different persuasions, supported by the Federation, and really a testimony to the achdus, to the unity of the Jewish community in Chicago. A blessing to the Jewish people. May New York learn from you. What, what you do is make sure that every child could continue sitting on the lap of Yitzchak Avinu, on the lap of Avram Avinu, on the lap of Yaakov Avinu, on the lap of Sarah, Rivka, Rachel and Leah, on the laps of all of our Zaydis and Babas, to be able to be infused with hope, with dignity, with inner confidence, with Yerushamayim, with Avas Hashem, with Avas Torah, and with Avas Yisrael. This is not small work. This is work that is vital. Hatzalas Nefashes. It's work that defines the very future and eternity of the Jewish people. The Panovich Erov, Zechet Tzadik Levracha, Rav Yosef Shleimah Kahanman, the legendary Panovich Erov said, what is the definition of an individual orphan. And he said, somebody who doesn't have parents. He said, but what's the definition of an orphan generation? He said, an orphan generation is a generation that doesn't have children. The Gemara says in Shabbos Kofutes, don't touch my anointed ones, my Mashiach. These are the little children. The Rabbi Shalom refers to them as my little Mashiachs, as my anointed ones. Why? Because every little boy, when you look at a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl, don't just see another person, another child. Okay, to their parents, they're precious. No. Look at them as a little tiny Mashiach in the making. Somebody who has the power to affect the world, to change the world. Because every person, every soul, is an indispensable note in the divine cosmic symphony. So we say to you tonight, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek, to be able to go from strength to strength to make sure that there's not a child, not a girl and not a boy of any age, any demographic, any circumstances, any home, any challenge that somehow falls through the cracks and does not find their own place in the eternal story of Knesset Yisrael from Avram Avinu until Mashiach, until the Gula Shlema, which of course brings us to the great theme and important theme of positivity, staying positive during what some people call an age of insanity, a time of craziness. If the corona wasn't crazy enough, the politics around the corona is not crazy enough. It's really mind-staggering that something as dangerous and as serious as a pandemic can also become political. Yes, masks, no masks. Yes, lockdown, no lockdown. A liberal agenda, Republican agenda, Biden agenda, Trump agenda. How something like a virus 
which affects everybody. It doesn't distinguish between blacks and whites and Jews and non-Jews and Hispanics and Latinos and Americans and non-Americans and right-wings and left-wings. Even such a thing that's just human, that unites the world, can become such a source of polarization, of divisiveness, of fragmentation. Never mind what happened with the rioting. Never mind with our recent elections. It's an age of uncertainty and an age and a time that's gripping a lot of people fear and anxiety. The key word today is anxiety. People are anxious. People are afraid. Some people are overwhelmed. Some people are terrified. How does Yiddishkeit, how does Torah help us cope, stay positive, upbeat, and vigorous, and and, uh, full of vitality and animation during such times? There was a wise old man who once said, he said, before I go to sleep, I give away all my problems to God because I know he's going to stay up anyway. <laughs> what do I have to stay up? He'll stay up the night anyway. Let him, let him deal with it. They say worrying is like a, sitting in a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it gets you nowhere. Back and forth, back and forth. But go speak to my anxiety. Anxiety is anxiety, and people have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of anxiety. So, First thing we have to know is, simply for your immune system, it's important to be upbeat. Simply because of the virus, we all have to be, Be'ezer Hashem, do what we have to do to operate on a level of optimal health, in addition to eating healthy, and sleeping well, and exercising, and doing things you love. Having a positive attitude is essential to your physical immune system. Everybody knows that today. So it's not just a good idea. I think it's really, really important. In addition to that, everyone is going through so much, whether it's financially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, in the places where there's lockdown kids that have been on lockdown for months. Here, Baruch Hashem, the situation is better now. But for months, kids were on lockdown. I don't have to tell you how it affected children, especially with technology, especially teenagers and families. It's very, very important to keep a spirit of simcha in the house. So I want to say a few points and a few ideas that perhaps can be helpful. The first thing is advice that was given by a man known as the Lechevich Magid, the Magid of Lechevich. And he said as follows. It says in Parshas Noyach, Hashem tells Noyach there's a flood. So he says, Boy I want you and your wife and your sons and your daughters-in-law to go into the ark because there's a mabel, there's a flood that's going to rage. The Baal Shem Tov said the word teva means an ark, a boat, a box. But teva also means a word, right? Like Rashi teva, it's Rashi tevot. Teva in Hebrew is a word. So the Lechevich Amagit said, listen to this. He said, when there's a flood outside, you and your spouse and your children and your children's spouses have to go into the teva. You have to enter into dialogue. You have to enter into conversation. Teva as in words, conversations. When there's no flood out, outside, you can rely on osmosis. Things will just be transferred from generation to generation through the chicken soup, through the ambiance, through the atmosphere. But when there's a mabel, when there's a flood, when there's a pandemic, when there's uncertainty outside, don't rely on that. Make sure there is conversation. Make sure there is communication. Make sure you're talking to your spouse. Make sure you're listening to your spouse. Make sure you're talking to your children. Make sure you're listening to your children. You have to know what is going on with each of your children inside their hearts, inside their souls, from the youngest age. 
And the only way to do that is by talking, by conversations, by ongoing relationships, and by listening to the best of our ability, what we call emotional connection, emotional bonding. This is critical at this time, and it begins on the top between spouses. You have to spend time with each other. Husbands and wives today cannot afford being on different pages, drifting away like this emotionally. It's extremely important to connect because this is one of the most important coping mechanisms in a difficult crisis. Sometimes we don't have answers for everything. But when the marriage is powerful, we can carry things together. When the marriage is weak, everything else becomes excruciatingly even more difficult and more painful. So it's a time to go into the Teva, talk more, listen more, spend more time with each other, iron out your differences, express to each other what is going on without judging. Just have the ability to really be able to contain the other person. Because in that unity, a lot of good things and great things can happen. Which brings me, I think, to another very <clears throat> powerful point. And this is a beautiful Torah that I saw in a sefer called Beis Aharon. Beis Aharon is a work, a commentary on Chumash, by Reb Aaron of Karlin. He's known as the second Reb Aaron of Karlin. He was a uh, grandson of the famous Reb Aaron Hagadol of Karlin, the student of the Mezritcha Magid. And he was a son of Reb Asher, Reb Asher Stolen, Reb Asher Kalin. And the Sefer Beis Aaron, he has a lovely interpretation of Parshas Vayetze. It says, Vayetze Yaakov Meber Shava Vayelech Harana Vayivga Bamokim Vayolen Sham Kivo HaShamash. Yaakov leaves Be'er Shava, he goes to Haran, and he encounters the space. Vayivga Bamokim, he encounters the space, and then it says, Vayishkav Bamokim Ahu, and he lies down, he goes to sleep in that space. Now, what type of cryptic words are these? He encounters the space. Thank you. Wherever you are, you're encountering space. You can't get more ambiguous on me than say, this person arrived at a place. Thank you. Every part of our planet can be defined as a place. And this says twice in the Pasuk, without specifying, he slept in that place. What place? Wherever you sleep is going to be in a place. Any space you encounter is going to be a place. Which is a question that all of the Mepharshim struggle with, beginning with Rashi. So the Medrash Rabbah writes, in the beginning of Ayetze, Bamakim is a euphemism for Hashem. Vayivga Bamakim means he encountered the omnipresent. He encountered Giriboyne Shalaylam. Hu Mekayimai Shalaylam, Einayla Mekayimai. Hashem is called Makim the space because he constitutes the space of the world and the world does not constitute his space. So he is the space of the universe, the entire world. He is the space. He named Makaim Iti, as the Medrash brings. You can't say that the world constitutes his space exclusively, but he constitutes the space of the world, which means the whole space of the world is him. It's an expression of him, even though he transcends it. He encounters the Rebbeinah which only raises the question, one second, why did the Torah say it in such an indirect way? He could have said, he met Hashem, he encountered Hashem, he spoke to Hashem, he davened to Hashem, an expression that's often used in the Tanakh. In fact, this is the first time in the whole Tanakh, and one of the few places in the whole Tanakh, that Hashem is called Makoim. Very unique, very unique expression for Hashem, Mokayim. We have it in a few places, but very, very seldom, but this is the first place. He encountered Hashem. Why here? Why now? So Reb Aaron of Kalin 
He says something marvelous, the name of the Holy Rebshleim Kalina. It says, Says Rashi, what's Becholavavcha? You should love Hashem with your whole heart. What's Becholavavcha? Says Rashi, quoting the Sifri, Your heart should not be divided or at variance with the Mokan. Your heart should not be in a fight with Hashem. That's Becholavavcha. Sometimes my heart could be split. In other words, there's a machloikis in my heart. My heart is split. There's a fight in my heart. And my heart is at variance. There's a machloikis with the mokim, with the ribbon shalom. Your heart should be at peace with the mokim, with the omnipresent, with Hashem. Why does Rashi and the Sifri change the term of the positive? should say, here too, the term makayim, makayim is used. The answer that he explains is very, very profound and very simple and very moving. I'm going to say it in my own words the way I understood it. What are the saddest words in the English language? <laughs> this, is a, this is my rhetorical question to all of you. I know you can't all answer. If I would be live in Chicago talking to you, I would ask you to give an answer that I can hear. But here I'm going to ask you to share the answer with your husband or with your wife. What are the two saddest words in the English language? Okay, so of course I don't know. But I know two of the saddest words of the English language. And that is, if only. If only. Everybody has an if only. If only my mother would have been a different type of person. My father would have been a different type of person. If only I would have grown up in a different type of home. If only I would have had a different experience as a child. If only I would have had different siblings. If only I would have gone to a different school. If only I wouldn't have done X, Y, Z when I was 17 or 15 or 25. If only I would have married a different type of man or a different type of woman. If only my mother-in-law, my father-in-law would be different. If only I would have not taken this job, I would have taken that job. If only, if only my children would have turned out the way I dreamt they should turn out. If only I wouldn't have to be dealing with trauma, fear, insecurity, anxiety, stress. If only I wouldn't be struggling mentally or emotionally or financially or physically or socially. If only life would have been so much more beautiful and so much easier. I say that these are some of the saddest words in the English language because they never allow us to make peace with life, to make peace with reality. They always want us to be in another place. Says Reb Shleim Kaliner, Vahaftas Hashem Alekecha Bechalavavcha means, Shaloyehe Libcha Chaluk Al Hamokai. Stop fighting with your Mokai. Stop fighting with your space. Not just geographically, but also existentially, emotionally. So many of us are in a machlaikis with our makayim. If only I would live there. If only I would be here. If only I would be there. If only I can get out of this place. Whether it's geographically or it's conceptually. I want to get out of this makayim. I'm in a fight with the makayim. You know where I heard this first? Before Corona, I was traveling somewhere for a lecture. I was in the airport. The plane was delayed and then it was canceled. 
And I was very anxious because I had this big event that I was supposed to arrive at. And I'm not arriving. And I see a yid, a chassid a karliner chassid from Yerushalayim. He was there. So he knew who I was. He says, Rabbi, why, why? You look anxious. <laughs> I said, no kidding. <laughs> I am. He says, why are you so anxious? So I told him. I told him. I said, you look calm. You look calm. Is this, is this a quality of all Jerusalem Jews? They're very calm, ruyik. I know Jerusalem may be a calmer place than New York. So he said, I'm going to tell you a voice from the Pshalayim Kaliner. Stop fighting with the Mokim. You know why? Because the Mokim is Hashem. The Rebbeinu Shalom is present in this place. The place you're in, that's where you will find your meaning, your purpose. That's where Hashem is. As Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, years later, he also wants to go away from his place. Says Rashi, Asura Mikan, Lehiskarev Lisham. I want to go away from here to get there. Says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shalma Lechem Yaraglecha Kiham Mokoi Mashata Oimedalav Admas Koydashu. You have to be able to discover how the Mokoim that you are treading upon is sacred soil. Baruch HaMakayim Baruch Hu Mekayim HaShalaylam The Rebbein HaShalaylam God is present in your reality right here, right now in these circumstances. And therefore, you can suck the marrow out of this place. Here your soul will fulfill its mission. Here you will find the purpose for which your soul came down to the world. Now this doesn't mean that tomorrow I shouldn't move. And tomorrow I shouldn't enhance my circumstances. A person should always go from strength to strength. But it means, if you're right now in this Makayim, it's Bahashgach, it's by divine providence. Don't run. Don't get frustrated. Don't live in a what-if reality. In an if-only reality. You know why? This is the reality in which you will fulfill the purpose for which your soul came into the world. Stop having a machlaikis with your makayim. Yaakov Avinu leaves Be'eshava. He's on the way to Charan. He bids farewell to his father and mother. He is alone in the world. He's a fugitive. His brother wants to kill him. He has nothing. He's embarking on a journey to an unknown world. His old world came crashing down on him. Everything is unfamiliar. There's a whole new reality. It's so easy to surrender to confusion, to anxiety, to despair. What saves him? He encounters the Mokim. He encounters the Reboina Shalom as Mokim. He appreciates the fact that if I am finding myself in a particular space, I'm not stuck. I was sent there. I wasn't thrown there. I wasn't plunged there. I have a shlichus there. I have a mission there. Embrace it with gusto because you have all the resources and the tools to be able to maximize its potentials and to be able to turn it into a success story. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean there's no challenges. It doesn't mean I will not shed a few tears. It does not mean that it's not vulnerable. It may be. And I have to open myself up to that new reality of Vayivga Bamokayim, Vayishkav Bamokayim Ahu. He lays down. I heard the Jewish world just said goodbye to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zechroin Levracha, the former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. And I heard from him once when he became chief rabbi in the 1990s. And he shared something that was very moving. 
He said he was never planning to be a rabbi or a chief rabbi. He was a student in Cambridge University. He wanted to become a philosopher or a lawyer or a professor or a teacher. He and the rabbinate were He also didn't come from a very religious home. He didn't go to yeshiva. He came from a, you know, an English traditional home, but he didn't have a, a Jewish education. He had to learn everything. He was never in yeshiva till that point. And he said it was 1968. I heard this from him. And he came to America. And uh, he went on a Greyhound bus for a few months. And he traveled to different rabbis and spiritual leaders from different denominations to ask his questions. He was a brilliant student, as is quite obvious. And he was an inquisitive mind. And the Six-Day War shook him up like it did so many other young Jews in Britain and in America and around the world. And he went to different people. And he said that he came in 1968. He said he visited also the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. And he went into him, it was the middle of the night, and he started to ask all of his questions. He was there for close to two hours. And when he finished, the Rebbe said to him, now I want to ask you a question. He wasn't expecting this. He was a young boy asking the different rabbis the questions. He went to Rabbi Soloveitchik. I think he went to Rabbi Moshe. He went to various, and he also went to other people. He went to, I think, to Professor Heschel, Kaplan, Mordechai Kaplan, different demographics, denominations. I don't remember all the names he said. So he wasn't expecting somebody asking him questions. The Rebbe says to him, I have a question. How many Jewish students are there in Cambridge? And what are you doing for Jewish life in Cambridge? He wasn't doing anything, and he wasn't interested. He was not there as a, uh, as a Chabad Shliach in Cambridge University. He was there to study philosophy, and his professors were atheists. So he says, I was a British gentleman. So I responded, and I said, in the situation I find myself in, he wanted to finish the sentence. He didn't know how, but he would, you know, concoct some elegant British conclusion in the situation I find myself in. And he says, Lubavitcher Rebbe interrupted me mid-sentence. And he said, a person never finds himself in a situation. A person puts himself in a situation. And if you put yourself in one situation, you can always put yourself in another situation. You're in Cambridge for a reason. And you have leadership skills that you have to utilize. And he charged him with a mission of becoming a rabbi and becoming a rabbi's rabbi. He said this story, this is 68, 70, maybe 30 years later when he became Britain's chief rabbi. But this is what Rabbi Shlomo says. I'm never a victim. You're never a victim. Who would know this lesson more than anybody? Yaakov's son, Yosef. He tells his brothers, you did not sell me. The Rebbeinu Shalom sent me. If this is the place I'm in, it means this is the place where I can ultimately fulfill my deepest meaning and purpose in life. The place where I can find God, the place where I can find my soul, the place where I can find my truth, the place where I can find my deepest self. Tomorrow, maybe it's time to move on. Today, because Hashem is here. They tell a story about a little girl and her grandfather was an old atheist and he always tried to inculcate atheism in her and it was to no avail. She was a maimin. One day he decided he has an idea. He puts a little note under her pillow and he writes on the note, God is nowhere. And in the morning he's hoping she'll see that she got a message from heaven that God is nowhere. In the morning, she runs into the kitchen. She says, Grandpa, Grandpa, you won't believe the message that heaven sent me last night. I woke up, and under my pillow there's a note, and it reads, God is now here. And I think essentially, 
This is one of the most powerful ideas during such a time. When we look at all of our circumstances, everything changed. I know my life changed. Everybody's life changed. I have been home now for nine months. <laughs> I hope my wife is happy about that. But I've never been home for so long. Every single Shabbos, Baruch Hashem. It's a great privilege. Everybody's life has changed. Some great things, some challenges, many challenges. But don't look at it as like we're victims of crazy circumstances. Yes, there are difficult circumstances. There is craziness. There is insanity. We all have to use our Seichel Hayashar and our Emunah and our faith to be able to do the best we can under these circumstances. But don't see it as a Nebach situation where you are a victim of other people's decisions, including China's decisions, including po- politics, even if they're all playing a role, can you encounter Hashem in the space that you're in? The space that each and every single one of us is in today, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, is not a random error. My purpose is there. This is an opportunity you do not want to squander. The worst thing about a crisis is if we squander it. These are times to flex your muscles, times to bring out the best in you and the best in your loved ones. It's times to create a marriage that you never thought you can have. The time that we have now, we're all home more. Make it the best marriage you can. Even if you thought my marriage will never be that good. I'm telling you, these are, this is an opportunity from God. Your relationships with your children. Let them intensify in ways that you never imagined they will. Your relationship with Hashem. Some people in recent months, we couldn't go to shul. People discovered what it is like to daven with Hashem one-on-one. Remember, Yaakov, Tikein Tvilas Arvis, says this Vasem as why Mayriv? Because Yaakov is the one who revealed how you can take darkness and turn it into a tefillah. Tefillah means connection. Hatoifel Kleicheres, the Mishnah says. Naftuli Alekim Neftalti. You can take Mayriv, Arvis, darkness. Vayi Erev, Voiker. Take darkness and turn it into an opportunity for connection. Every challenge can be seen as an obstacle, as a stumbling block, as a challenge, or as an opportunity for connection. Ask yourself, what are the challenges right now in my life? Feel the pain and then go one step deeper. And that is, how will I take these challenges and turn them into opportunities? Opportunities for self-awareness, opportunities for extraordinary growth, opportunities for deeper relationships with myself and with my loved ones, opportunities for maturity, opportunities for self-discovery, and opportunities to be an ambassador for light and love and hope. Because this is not only a time to be there for ourselves. This is a time to be there for people. Everyone in today's day must ask themselves, not what the community can do for me, but what I can do for your community, what I can do for my community. Let's be there for people. You'll never realize the power of a text, of a WhatsApp, of a telephone call, of an email, of a meeting, of a favor, of a gesture, of words of encouragement and chizuk to a neighbor, to a relative, to a parent, to a friend, to an old friend, to the guard at the door, to a teacher, to a principal, to a child, to a teenager. Be a source of love and strength and inspiration. People need it. And instead of being a parasite and asking, how do I get from this? How do I get from that? You want love? you become a source of love. When you become a source of love and inspiration, kamayim ha'ponem l'ponem, you attract. 
the deepest love and the deepest confidence. So means sometimes I'm in a space. There is pain. I could cry. It's not easy. But then I have to be able to make peace, embrace it, accept it, and realize carpe diem, seize the day, suck the marrow out of this space, this situation, because it's here that you will find your ultimate meaning and happiness. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.